0: The ostrich approach is a bad, deadly approach. It's almost reckless for me as an executive of a company to do that. So um, I'll tell you a bad plan is better than no plan. And so we made a plan and our plan is, let's take the soundest form of of reserve currency we can right now and put our everable capital, our treasury strategy into it. That I learned from Saylor, you know, what he did kind of gave me permission to do it. If a public company can do it, then it makes a lot of sense.
1: Welcome back to Bitcoin is Hard. This is a Choice App production about Bitcoin and personal finance. I'm your host, Brian Harrington. Today, very excited about this. We have the CEO of Everbol, Jeff Fenster, who just announced that Everbol is moving onto the Bitcoin standard, adopting Bitcoin. And I love that. So Jeff, welcome, dude. Great to see you.
0: Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm honored to come on your show. It's always fun and big fan of it. So excited to be here.
1: Yeah. Um, I'm very jealous about the 40 under 40 thing. I just ah. turned 30 and I didn't, no editor called me or anything for, I felt like I was pushing pretty hard, but I guess not hard enough. What is the secret to winning winning these things and getting on these lists?
0: Results, at the end of the day, the, they, they, you know, results tend to, to provide the reward that, that comes with it and you get on these lists, you get this recognition and it's kind of a uh, momentum. And it's one of the things I, I I usually speak about when I'm helping entrepreneurs is the one percent better every day win stacking and building. So as you keep getting one percent better every day, you you start to hit these milestones and you hit these achievements, and then as a result, these rewards are um, the media starts to take notice and you get the opportunity to to be amongst you know excellence and and these peers and it's a culmination of a lot of different things of daily habits and being on an incredible team and having a, a great team of people that support the same vision that you're on. Um, cause it's definitely not a, even though it's a solo award, it's far from it.
1: Mm-hmm. What I love about this is because for, I've been tracking Bitcoin like really closely for a long time. And I've, I've also been like do my fair share of kind of motivational podcasts and just books and like, um, daily habits and just like trying to, be a high performer, I guess. And I I immediately see the synergy between both these things. Like Bitcoin compounds and just is better. And so I'm excited to just like, we'll get into it and just hear from you on kind of that crew of people, I guess. Like how is it going with kind of understanding Bitcoin and being able to separate it from crypto and just kind of arriving like at conclusions? Because I think one thing is people are very busy like and high performers are very like, busy and Bitcoin like takes a little bit to kind of wrap your brain around. And so we're gonna get there. But tell us, so Everbowl is not your first company. So no. tell us like tell us a little bit about the other companies and just how how Everbowl got started.
0: Sure. I'll just give you the quick two minute back of the baseball card. Uh, went to law school to be a sports agent, graduated at 24, but I had a daughter my third year of law school and decided I didn't want to travel the world representing athletes. I wanted to be a parent. So uh graduated with a law degree and no idea what I was going to do in life and I got a job selling payroll at ADP the payroll company and was there for six months and uh using a strategy that I use in all my companies I was able to kind of find a way to succeed quickly and was the number one sales rep in the country my first six months made President's Club and everything was great this was 2007 uh so you'll, you'll like the parallel to the timing um in a minute and I achieved this $17,000 annual bonus, and I got it in January of 08. And I went to my boss and I said, listen, I'd like to to get my bonus. And they said, you have to wait to the end of the fiscal year, which didn't end until June. So I'd get it in July. And I had just gotten engaged. I had a daughter We had just bought a new house. I had, you know, just over six figures in law school loans to pay back. And I needed the money. I was, you know, I was 24 years old. And um, they basically said, no, you have to wait. And so I went home that night and I just felt like a Like kind of a prisoner. Like if you envision like seeing your future life, and there I was, thirty years from now, is it time for my bonus yet? Kind of a a mindset instead of an opportunity to let my results dictate my my rewards. And um, I asked my fiance if she was okay if uh, I quit and move in with my parents and sell the house and start my own. And I had no idea about starting a company. And she said, yeah, she was she was willing to do that. So I went in the next day, threatened to quit if they didn't give it to me, and. They didn't, and I quit and started my first company out of my mom's kitchen with one of my my best friends. Uh, It's called iChecks, and it was a payroll and HR company and grew it. Uh, Of course, my timing was awesome because it was about February, March of 08. and we all know about the 08 financial crisis. So it was a perfect time for someone with not a lot of means or resources to start a company at the beginning of the Great Recession. But timing aside, um, it worked out really well. We grew it, scaled it, and we ended up exiting it in 2011. And I had a recruiting agency that I started alongside that to vertically integrate for my clients, got rid of that in 2012. Then I wanted to, my youngest daughter was born in 2011. And so I wanted to work from a computer. I figured computers weren't going anywhere and the future of the, was kind of showing us where the world was going. So I wanted to start a digital marketing agency and work from, have the flexibility to work from home and kind of do a little bit more remote. Cause I was traveling so much with my first two companies and. And so I started a digital marketing agency and I ended up partnering with a guy named Neil Patel. Uh, A lot of people know who he is. And, um, you know, we hit it off and we worked together for about four, just over four years representing some of the biggest websites on the internet. And then in 2015, sold off those clients and was driving my wife and kids crazy. And my wife said, go do something you're truly passionate about and health and wellness is one of my biggest passions outside of entrepreneurship. So I started Everbowl with the idea that I could make healthy food and and make access to healthy food more affordable, filling, delicious, and accessible for, you know, people all over the country and make it to where we don't have excuses. Because part of the success formula that I try to use in my own life and business is, is keeping it very simple and, and getting 1% better every day. And so everyone wants to eat healthy, but the struggle to do that is a whole host of excuses we make. And it could be, we don't think healthy eating is affordable. It's too expensive. So I'm going to go eat something that's cheaper or it doesn't taste good or it doesn't fill me up and leave me satisfied, or I just can't get it. It's not accessible. I have 30 minutes at a lunch break and I need I need access to this food. So um, those are the four excuses or problems I try to solve on a daily basis with Everbull. And I use the totality of my business experience to try to bring to the, you know, the restaurant space. And so um, alongside that, we started our own construction and fabrication company called WeBuilt So we actually build every single Everbowl for all of our stores. Wow. Uh, we have you know we have 53 stores open in 14 states and another 190 sold that will be opening in the next four years and uh so our construction company called we build we build stuff uh, builds it so we vertically integrated that and then i have a a company called unevolved products which is a imports we import you know the superfoods from around the world we also manufacture our own flavors and we have clothing and merchandise and, and we vertically integrated that as well so we can are trying our best to control as much of our own supply chain and ensure it's the quality standards we want and, um, you know, in business and in life. And this is a long winded way to you know, of telling you my backstory, but I want to kind of tip off to your mm-hmm. question, um, which is why do a lot of high achievers have the aha moment with Bitcoin? And I think it's I'm getting there in the sense of, you know, by doing these things and, and controlling more, you're building a moat around your business. Mm-hmm. And the number one rule of a business owner is to stay in business today. And, and that's what a lot of people forget. The number two rule is to stay in business tomorrow. And you keep doing that until you get to the point where you're not worried about staying in business and you can worry about other problems, right? So it depends where you are on your life cycle, but the way you stay in business is options and always having options. And, and too many times companies get stuck without options. So I think people who have found success in personal or professional lives, whether it's as an owner of a business or an employee of a business or, or, or just a student and developing their career, it's people who are constantly learning because they're always worried about that iceberg they're always worried about what could come and disrupt what I have here and and break this and so high achievers are constantly learning And when you're constantly learning you're going to stumble onto Bitcoin and as long as you are a constant learner and you continue to learn on Bitcoin you're going to make the same natural connection I think that we're seeing in the totality of humans that are spending the time to learn about it which is this just makes too much sense right you know I, I I didn't have a dog in the fight when I started I didn't mm-hmm. want it to work. I didn't want it not mm-hmm. to work. I didn't care. Mm-hmm. I was agnostic. I was like, well, this right. is something I'm gonna learn about it. It was like the internet, you know, the companies in ninety-seven that said, ah, you know what, the internet's a fad, I'm not doing it. You know, I sell I sell my 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 merchandise, my widgets face to face. That's fine until it's not, right? Yeah. And the companies that were like, oh my God, we should learn about this. This is yeah, this is not something I can sit on the sidelines for, thrived. And so I just feel like that's what you're starting to, you're starting to see by nation states, institutions, retail investors, all the way down to kids.
1: Right. Dude, okay, this may sound crazy, but like I've like I've been waiting for you. Like we've been running <laughs> Bitcoin meetups. We've been running Bitcoin meetups in Southern California for about 3 years now. We started in 2019. Other people did it before that, but just the kind of the Southern California crew as it is right now across LA County, Orange County, San Diego County, Riverside County, like we've been just kind of all getting to know each other since 2019. And so in there's one taco stand Tacos Australia in Rialto walked into our meetup and said hey my like my good friend Eman walked in and was like, hey my uncle wants to take Bitcoin out of his shop And so we taught ourselves BTC pay server got a phone and ran BTC pay server at Tacos Australia in Rialto okay Wow that's all. cool And then, and then Nexberger, uh Demetrios from Nextburger walks into the meetup and says, hey we want to start taking Bitcoin three Nextburger locations in Orange, Newport, and Downey did the same thing. And we stepped it up a little bit this time. This time we were able to run it on the same tablet that their original point of sale was running on. So the the person running the register would be able to switch apps and like do it. And so we got those three locations. Um, And that's after doing those four locations, I realized that someone can do this like this is this these tools are now here that someone with I you can ask other people like I said this out loud and tweeted this like <laughs> someone someone with 50 locations can turn this on now like we are now ready for the next pilot of this thing and like franchise like franchise locations are going to turn this on and start doing this and we need like the equivalent of what MicroStrategy did on like the treasury front will continue to happen continue to happen but there's a very chance like we can start see something happen on the payment front now especially with like what like mcdonald's taco bell starbucks are all running this in el salvador like fortune 500 companies are running lightning network that means that their it departments have figured it out it means that their marketing departments Created posters that said we accept Bitcoin now. Like, mm-hmm. so this is a thing and is happening. Um, so I've been, I've been waiting, like waiting for this. And I'm excited about, yeah, just the way that you've been able to like systematically knock out and execute on so much of this stuff in your life. And now you're just approaching Bitcoin with like the same mindset. So yeah, tell us, tell us a little bit about that. Who, like, who orange pilled you or how did you like come to like understand Bitcoin and the problem that it's solving and how'd you learn about it?
0: Well, it actually started, uh, I was a, I don't want to say I was a victim, but I was kind of a victim to uh, not not paying much attention. In 2013, I was introduced to Bitcoin and me and my, my dad each were like, let's just throw five grand at this thing. Who knows what this is, uh, but we're going to do it. And through a buddy, there was this algorithmic trading bot thing that could get me in and out all the time. So I would wouldn't lose much. I wouldn't, And it, you know, at one point it had doubled and we thought we were heroes. And uh, we we're like, I can't believe we're making money with this obscure Bitcoin thing in 2013, not paying much attention to it, but just kind of doing it for a little bit of fun and just to see what happened. And we ended up losing all of our money because that trading algorithmic bot thing was a scam of some sort. And um, so I was down on it, whatever. And I forgot about it. I mean, really, I went back to life business. And then in 2017, um, I got reintroduced, through coinbase actually you know one of, one of the people that was working with me was like hey do you own any of the, any crypto and I was like ah, I used to and I gave him my little sad sob story and he's like dude it's come so much further you've got to re- restart looking at this so in 2017 I started to to look again for the first time but um not with the Bitcoin eyes just with the what is this space eyes and I bought some Bitcoin, I bought some Ethereum, and then I got sucked into all of the coolest altcoins that were changing the world back then in 2017. And I spent a bunch of money on, you know, IOTA and and Tron and all these things that I didn't really even care to understand the technology. I was kind of looking at it like, hey, this is like the dot-com boom with all these cryptos. We're seeing that the, they're accessible and you can, I mean, they were a little bit harder. They weren't on Coinbase, but you had to, you know, I was with people who were smart enough to kind of take me through some of that process in 18 and watch them all, you know, had visions of them going hundred X and then they all died and crashed. And, um, I lost a lot of money on the little ones and sold some of my other ones as, as, and that was before I cared about the, what it did or to what problems it was solving. This was simply and solely just Jeff going some play money around investing, not taking it seriously. And then, um, I held on to a little bit of my Bitcoin and Ethereum from 2017. And then in 2019, um, I started to kind of start hearing a lot more about things that were starting to happen. Uh, you hadn't really heard it too much on institutions, but some of my friends that were crypto trading, if that's what they called themselves, um, were, were speaking a lot more about it. You could hear the increase in the chatter and the tea leaves that this was just gaining a little bit of a groundswell. And then um, COVID obviously occurred. And when COVID occurred March of 2020, there was a moment where I looked at pers- my personal finances across all my investment th- and my investment thesis as just a human being. And I came to the conclusion quickly that I needed to own more assets. And... Um, I started to look at what were those assets and obviously the stock market got crushed and my positions got crushed, but it was a great time to buy. So, you know, I backed my personal truck up a little bit in in, um, April and May of 2020 and realized it was a good time to start picking up some securities and started to pay attention more to to Bitcoin. And I didn't buy any more until June of 2020, uh, was when I bought, started buying again personally, um, and just started following more of the media. You know, I started following, you know, Bitcoin on, on, I don't, I didn't use Twitter very much, but I started to read the Bitcoin news as far as what was coming on in Google and, you know, you know, Anthony Pompliano, uh, you know, he's a, he's a friend and I saw him on CNBC once a week and I started to, you know, listen more to him. And, and then Michael Saylor started to, to mm-hmm. start coming on and, um, Raul Paul from, just from his macro theory, theory and thesis. And all of a sudden these guys that I started having access to, I started listening to, and they started to say the right words, which was, I had that moment where I stopped thinking about it as it's, forget investment personally. Like I started to realize like, wait, wait, I, I need to learn this. I need to use the same stuff I did when I wanted to learn about the stocks that I potentially invest in or real estate or a business you're starting or anything that interests you is like, let me, let me take this somewhat seriously. And so, um, and I just, I don't know if it's their, it, Raul Paul's accent, but I listened to like a two hour speech he had. And, and he was just talking about, where the world's going from a high level macro and and I just had a light bulb switch I'm like I need to I need to dive in and so I did and so I've been a huge consumer of all things and I and I say both Bitcoin and crypto since then uh because I don't again I I I love and I think Bitcoin is the answer I think it's the 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 logical next uh evolution for for the reserve currency of the world the internet of Mm -hmm. the money of the internet if you will it just makes too much sense but I'm also not going to be so so staunch that I'm not going to leave open the opportunity to be wrong, and I'm going to yep. learn about the other ones. And yep. I don't think they're as good of a of a long term investment opportunity, at both to make money, but also for stability and and for decentralization and, and for all the reasons that oh I'm sure we're going to get into. I think it's better than the rest, but I'm always going to be open to listening to the rest. And you know, Raul switched his position, and now he's really an, an Ethereum maxim and. know he thinks it's the greatest trade and and he could be right um Mm. but i i still agree with michael Saylor, which is you to understand we're we're, this is the rails of the internet this is the internet with the internet right so if the internet grew as fast as it did it did so because we didn't have the internet of to use to grow it right so the internet's the digitization of information and what that enabled us to learn and move information so quickly and now we have the digitization of money or energy or you pick your analogy and we get the rails of the internet to accomplish it. Um, when you start seeing, you know, African tribes in in, in remote areas with that have smartphones and now have access to this, that's okay. insanity. So, okay. and then you see like Elon Musk and Starlink, and and pretty soon, with you know, five G and where we're going, you won't be a bit, you won't be anywhere where you're not connected, or have access to be connected. So, to okay. transact independently and to be able to live our lives instead of just thinking ourselves as Oh, I'm an American who lives in California, who lives in Southern California. And so Mm -hmm. I can only do what I can do here. Mm -hmm. No, it's a, the world's small, it's a global world. And and so we need to be able to connect each other. And so that's kind of what got me there.
1: That's amazing. I think that's super, super fair. And I think that's well articulated. And again, what's amazing about that is just understanding that there's two buckets and explaining that the way that you just did is is so far ahead of what I guess would like some people haven't gotten there yet. Like some people haven't gotten there yet and are still kind of back where you were of just kind of like spraying and praying with the like fun money, which is fine. And it's completely fine, but it's amazing to hear like you articulate it just up to that speed like that. Something that was amazing about your quote in the Yahoo finance article and that you tweeted out afterwards. Um, Jeff, when you said like your reason for doing this was like excessive debasement of the US dollar, Mm -hmm. that was a very like, that's not exactly a very like PC thing to say (laughs) or like put in your like article, but it was very direct. What, like why, what motivates you to like be so direct or like what's your, what's backing that?
0: Well, I mean, it's, it's a fact. It's it's, again, it's it's black and white. It's not my, it's not something I want to be true. It's not what I'm rooting for, regardless of the fact that I own Bitcoin and I would probably benefit financially if Bitcoin gets more adoption. So it's self-serving for me to promote it. But irrespective of that, I still would prefer to see the sanctity of the current U.S. dollar. If we could snap our fingers and undo all the mess that has occurred and all of the maybe wrong or either they were incorrect or they were, you know, done out of necessity. Um. By our institutions that have built the world we currently live in, sure. The easiest answer is let's make money under the current system. Nothing has to change, and we can all thrive. But it's broken. And mm-hmm. March of 2020, you know, the easiest answer was I looked at the value of, of real estate. And mm-hmm. March of 2020, real estate, your house was worth blank, whatever it was. Let's just say it was a million dollars. We'll keep. We'll use an an easy example. Well, now it's worth two million dollars. So I think I'm I'm rich, right? right. Except what kind of house can I buy with $2 million? The same house I could have bought last year for a million dollars. So I'm actually not richer. I'm in the same position, except whatever I have in money that didn't, wasn't purchased yet. I can't, unless that doubled too, in my savings account, which it didn't, I can't buy the same house. So a year ago, me can't afford with my cash to buy the now me's same house. I'm no longer in that economic bucket. Right. And so, payroll doesn't accumulate and appreciate like these other areas. So right. SP you know appreciated 35%, real estate appreciated 35%, crypto as a whole appreciated 35%, right? Bitcoin appreciated 35% and made enough, you know, maybe it's not 35 across the board, but the point is your bank account didn't. So whatever you were able to buy a year ago, you can't buy the same amount. Amazon stock is worth more. So if I could buy one share a year ago, I could buy half a share today, I'm poorer. I'm not Mm -hmm. richer and Mm -hmm. although i might appear to have more of this fiat currency available to me if i do own some of these assets you're still in the same boat you can just buy equal amounts of everything else so so how do you get out of that i mean i i I work you know if i'm not working i'm with my family and if i'm working i'm i need to generate a a return on that time investment and right what i'm making isn't justifying it on a day-to-day basis so i need to take my money and put it to work yeah, and where you do that and how you do that, I think is so critical. And so as a company, you know, I'm sitting here at Everble and I have a job to do. I have a fiduciary responsibility to my shareholders to increase enterprise value every day, move this company forward and make sure I'm thinking about the longevity again. Can I stay in business today? Well, mm-hmm you know, we're not a public company. And and so I don't have public company wallets. and I'm not the size of a micro strategy. You know, Michael Saylor had a problem of $500 million. And what was he going to do with it? Sounds like a great problem. I don't have that problem. I have a smaller problem, but a bigger one to me. Mm -hmm. I have a smaller pool of of capital at my disposal. And um, my runway is not going to be as long. And I don't have the public markets to raise capital on the blink of an eye. So, you know. Raising money as a, as a company, I've, I've raised a lot of money for many companies over the years and, and, and Everble is also an investor-backed uh, business and we mm-hmm. do have shareholders and um, raising money when times are good is great, but imagine trying to raise money in March of 2020, mm-hmm. right? When the world shut down and I had to temporarily lay off 400 people and close all my stores and there was a moment in you know March 2020 where I looked around, I'm like, we're out of business. If things mm-hmm. don't change the next day, we're, we're, we're potentially out mm-hmm. of business. you know that that's a real problem and so you have to look at what are you doing as a company and so again constantly learning and seeing what's out there you should most likely understand that the debasement that's happening isn't stopping so the problem right. is not getting we, we don't have a solution yet and I, I mean this strongly you can't be an ostrich when you run companies especially companies that are sub you know 500 million dollars a year in revenue. I mean, Everbull is, you know, we're growing and we're doing our thing, but we're not quite to the size of a thousand units yet, and we're not where we want to be. So the ostrich approach is a bad, deadly approach. It's almost reckless for me as an executive of a company to do that. So um, I'll tell you, a bad plan is better than no plan. And so we made a plan and our plan is let's take the soundest form of of reserve currency we can right now and put our Everbull capital, our treasury strategy into it. Um, That was... I learned from sailor you know what he did kind of gave me permission to do it if a public mm-hmm. company can do it then it makes mm-hmm. a lot of sense and he, he made a huge gamble and after listening to probably 50 hours of him speaking about it and, and all of his wonderful analogies and um being a student of his and then doing my own research above and beyond that to see what other institutions are doing that how have they done it tahini's in canada was it was another great resource for me you know props to them and what they did they laid the groundwork and gave me permission as well of i'm a dual citizen anyway i have family in canada so natural i don't like what's going on right now uh, today but natural mm-hmm. uh natural love for what they did up there and again That's so sweet. being a student and learning you know i don't mm-hmm. i don't care who comes up with the right answer as i said at the beginning the key is mm-hmm. let's just find the right answer and, and so for us it just made sense and so my quote may not have been pc but i needed to explain mm-hmm. the why and I needed to mm-hmm. do it in a concise way. And, and again, two plus two is four. So go prove me wrong, because if I'm wrong, I'll, I'll, I'll pivot, right? Mm-hmm. I'll, I'll come mm-hmm. back if if you can show me that we're no longer debasing the U.S. dollar, we're no longer doing these these policy. We're not no longer making these policy mm-hmm. decisions at the top, regardless if it's out of necessity. The the, the why is less important to me than the what. What yep. are they doing? And as long as they're doing this, I have to respond like a game of chess, yep. because otherwise we're going to lose the game. Yep.
1: No. Amazing. I think, I think that makes complete sense. Can we, I've, I've been really excited to find a guest to do this with. Can, can we sit in the like semi weeds of the business accounting for a second? And like, and I mean, semi, like we don't have to go complete nerd out, but <laughs> I've been just wanting to ask some questions about this. Like sure. Jeff, for those of us that don't own businesses and we hear this like treasury strategy thing, what, like when you own a business, is it, Do you just have a checking account and a savings account? Like, is it that simple or like not even getting to the Bitcoin part yet? How does it work to just like do banking of a business?
0: Well, it depends on the type of business. But if you have investors or shareholders, uh, public or private, you have an obligation that I'm the steward of their interest, right? So we'll just use a a fake pie and say I own 50% and 50% is owned by shareholders, it doesn't matter if it's one or a hundred, right? Just Mm -hmm. imagine that. So individually, we all own the company. Then I might be the CEO, which I am. And so in this example, so the company of shareholders decided I should run the company. Mm -hmm. They're the owners, I run the company. Doesn't always have to be the same, right? I could step down, we could hire a CEO, but in this example, I'm both. So as a result, I have to wear two hats. And the CEO's job is I work And represent the shareholders, and and, and make sure the company is on plan to whatever our vision, our goals are, et cetera. And we have this capital, right? We have whatever amount of money is in the bank, and either we're making we're making money or we're burning money on an annual basis. And shareholders invested the initial startup or part of the money um, for the business, or invested at certain points, and. So this, this money that sits there, it isn't a checking account and a savings account, right? So you have your operating account, which is what you use to pay your bills and run your business. You have your savings or your whatever version of another account you use, which should either hold the carryover that should be accumulating. You know, your, your, uh oh, your, I don't want to swear on your uh, podcast, yep. but your, um, your, oh, blank fund and all of these other things. And then if there's gains at the end of the year, the shareholders, it's technically their money. Right. Mm -hmm. So we all get K ones and we have to either pay tax on the gain or take the loss if we lose money. But I'm representing their interest, their money. Now, we need to retain capital for the future and make sure we have enough to operate the company. And so a treasury strategy for us at our size is really just deciding what is the best use of our company money as the shareholder group and the company to ensure that we have enough to run the business. We have enough for the uh days. And then if there is enough left over give it back to the shareholders or does it make more sense for us to reinvest it through an acquisition, another line, another division, another product, because we can make more money for our shareholders than if we just give them their, their cash. Yep. And the usual basis to evaluate that is what can people do with it. Right.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And I think so good. Oh, go
1: no, yeah. So then, okay. So then the classic next question then. So if it is, if you would then choose to have the, like, reserve fund, then move into Bitcoin, does a company face the same, like, rules that an individual does? Of, because so individual, like Bitcoiners are, are, are we've been doing this, like, 100% of our savings is in Bitcoin, because anything being saved for the long term or undetermined future, like, makes sense in Bitcoin, it no longer makes sense in, like, dollars. And, and I want to have the conversation with you about whether the operating makes sense in, like dollars or Bitcoin also, because I think the operating bucket is very exciting also, but well, let's stick on savings. Does a business, does a business have the same issue that if they swap their savings in Bitcoin and then like um, reason for needing it comes around and they need to swap part of it back into the operating, like, is there the capital gains and the same kind of things for businesses?
0: Absolutely. Yep. Yeah. yeah. So we yeah. have, you know, think of it just like a, a business is just like a person by way of yeah. the tax code. Um, right so and so but if games you all, and
1: games. yeah okay and and so but it's just known that like okay if it needs to do that whatever the the benefit of owning bitcoin as your savings asset still overcomes any gains that you would pay like you're st- the company is still coming out ahead that's the well, like math that you're yeah
0: in a way in a way it's no different than putting your reserve capital in the stock market if you're a company or in a building do companies do that absolutely yeah absolutely i mean again it doesn't make sense so we'll just use an example say it costs the company a million dollars a year to run the business and we do our budget for the year and we're like okay we're going to need a million dollars in cash well if we have two million dollars in cash what do we do with the other million if we leave it in our checking account or savings account and make zero interest next year we have a million dollars less whatever debasement there was to the dollars, right so That's the problem. Where we put that is up to us. One answer is give it back to shareholders. Well, if we never need money again because the business is printing two million a year, we're going to be in the same boat next year. We could. Right. That's not a wrong solution. And we have done distributions as companies. And that's what those are. And public companies do the same thing. If there's excess cash above and beyond what they think they can can reasonably uh, make a good, healthier return on, then I owe it to the shareholders being one of them to return it even if I wasn't, yeah. I, I, I owe it to them. Um, yeah. So that is an option. But when you look at the reserve cash in Bitcoin, because we've already dealt with a black swan event of COVID, and we live in very uncertain times. And there's a lot of just macro scares on the horizon from even if there is a fiat to Bitcoin world fight, and the leaders do have what could I mean, you no one can predict, how this right. uh, Tinder Tinder box is going to finish? Right, it could be smooth right. and it could be it could be orderly or it could be ugly. Right, but yeah. with all of the uncertainty, it,
1: people like you make me believe that it's going to be orderly. Like we honestly <laughs> do. Like it gives me very a lot of hope and optimism. Like this is a very exciting conversation. I'm like truly have been like <laughs> waiting for this. Like it's fun <laughs> to talk about because okay, so Everbull, um, you franchises right? So 50 Correct. plus stores and they okay. Are how then? How then do their bank accounts work? Like, do so then each of those operators open up their infrastructure, and then they pay a fee to the overarching everble, right? Yeah. So, does, it, well,
0: franchises work? come with a royalty. So, most franchises that you see, and there's a lot of them, um, we we provide them the operational support, the recipes. It's a collective together agreement, but each each store pays a, a royalty, a small a small percentage of sales to the overarching bigger picture, the corporate everble. So we grow as a big company. So if you own one store in Menifee and I own a store in, in um, San Diego and someone owns a store in Las Vegas and someone else owns a store in, in Dallas and et cetera, then as collectively, we're all sharing the same thing. The commercial helps us all, the, the promotion and the publicity helps everybody. And so our plan in the adoption and moving uh, at, at the corporate level and then passing that down is we're creating the on the on-ramps for all of our franchisees to participate in the same manner. They're not going to be forced to do everything the same. But the beauty is, and we're working, you know, we've already been working with some great companies and exploring them all, you know, all of them from Swan to Strike to Nidig to OpenNode mm-hmm. um and many more that I that that I, I'm not naming. Um, they're all great in that they're providing different on-ramps and making this more institutionally available. And so the challenge we have, and I also mentioned it I think in the press release, was We're not 100% adopted because we can't, right? We have to be thoughtful. And as much as I would love for the world to be there, it's just not there yet. And so we have to move it systematically, which is by taking the key steps. The first step was to show our confidence to to the world that this is what we believe in by moving um, and by adopting Bitcoin for our treasury strategy. We're gonna be announcing probably this week in in another press release about payroll being offered to all of our staff. Um, And I'm gonna take my pay in Bitcoin and further showing that that's where I believe your your currency should go. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're working on making transactions available in the stores for people to come in and buy Bitcoin. And we're working with our POS provider right now to integrate um, the Lightning Network so that can be accomplished and doing it through our technology and our app. So you can buy both our products and services, uh, our products as well as franchises utilizing Bitcoin. Yep. And then we're also working towards doing some other fun things that are going to allow us to Bitcoinize different components of the business, like our loyalty programs and gift cards and, and have the store value being thought of separately. And by doing these things, we're going to make it easier for franchisees to understand how easy it is for them, because not all of them have the same education level or comfort. And so the key for adoption, in my opinion, is not to ever force it on anyone, right? It's to show them the same natural answer. Two plus two is four. I don't need to convince you, I need to show you. And and as long as as a business owner and, and someone who's trying to help lead the way for other business owners like me to, to make the same steps, I want to make, make it seem natural and easy and not, there's no combativeness. Right. If you're not there yet, it's okay. Cause right. the beauty is, <clears throat> if someone buys with Bitcoin in your store and you want nothing to do with Bitcoin immediately, it can convert back to fiat for you. Mm-hmm. Um, and that capability, that ability to toggle between us dollar and, and Bitcoin is going to enable whether you're in or you're out doesn't matter the rails there and those who want to participate can and those who don't don't and i think what will naturally occur is just like the internet it's not a matter of and i said it it's not a matter of if it's just when um yep. those, those the laggards finally realize okay and they're going to capitulate and they're going to all of a sudden be on the bitcoin standard too
1: Dude, i think that's amazing i i'm super impressed by the systemization and that's sweet the way you're bringing along the franchise owners along um I completely like agree that I think I think everyone will, um, I think everyone's going to be excited about that because I've I've heard from multiple business owners just anecdotally like talking to him like, a, talk to a uh, classic like my like barber in Anaheim about this and he was running the Square terminal already and I was like hey you know they're just going to turn on Lightning for this and Bitcoin for this soon he was like oh yeah that's awesome like I'll do it exactly that day like and so he was like oh yeah when it's ready it's ready like tell me when it's ready and we'll turn it on and then same thing at Tacos Australia he. My friend told me, he was like, my, my uncle doesn't want to buy Bitcoin, but he's down to take it at the store. Like, and we'll keep whatever we take at the store. Like, just, yeah, tell us when it's ready. Like, I think there is a lot mm-hmm. of people that are just like, tell us when it's ready. Like, that <laughs> sounds great. Like, let's, let's turn it on. And so that is, uh, dude, just awesome and exciting. Wow. So
0: I'll, I'll, I'll add one last piece, because I think it's the one that not enough of the people who are early adopters are saying. And it's self-serving. And I think as long as everyone understands that a lot of what we do is self-serving. If I was on your podcast talking about business, I'd be promoting Everbull. So, um, I am going to promote a little here, self-serve, but there's game theory to this too, which is, and I mean, this, like every business that, that is on the fence, the earlier you, if you get to the conclusion that it's inevitable, the earlier you adopt, the more you gain, it's just the way it's going to go. So if you had come to the United States in 1492 and decided that, you know, the Western half of the seaboard c- c- uh, c- was gonna be yours and you could defend it, it was yours. A lot harder to do it now. So um, I, I strive, that's why I, I challenged everybody to at least do the research. And as I said to my team, I don't care what decision we make, but we're gonna make a decision from a position of knowledge and understanding and make the decision not to adopt it, educate it. Don't make it because you don't want it. I think right now too, a, lot of, a large swath of the population is choosing not to educate themselves and they're electing not to participate simply and solely because they don't think it's them or it seems kind of volatile or, or whatever one liner they want to use because they saw in the media or heard from a friend about the negative negative. and all i'm going to say is that's fine don't participate but spend a few hours educate yourself because this is a life-changing yeah. world-changing event that's going to be yeah. one that's been like the internet or the industrial revolution or any right. of the other big major you know catalysts that happened in, on a global level it's going to happen and if you make the choice not to do it and you're educated I support that. Right. I might disagree, but smart right. people can disagree on, on on things. That's fine. But if you do it from a place of ignorance, that's dangerous yeah. uh, for your longevity and for the world. And so I just challenge everyone: educate yourself and make the decision not to do it, or make the decision to do it, but educate yourself. Right.
1: No, I liked what you said at the top of like the like ostrich is the wrong the Like ostrich mm-hmm. is the wrong move. You should need to look into it, make a decision. Um, mm-hmm. one way. How does the can one more question on just the accounting? How have you had to make any upgrades to like your accounting software or anything now? Like now that you're using two currencies to kind of just, what how does how does that part work?
0: Well, so we're not for, right now it's just our savings. So we're not operating as far as we haven't yet set up paying vendors and doing a lot of transactional volume yet on the Lightning Network. That's what we're working towards right now. Um, we have internal controls that um, I would have to rely on our CFO to tell me which which are the ones that are being implemented or manipulated or changed uh, to allow us to to handle it appropriately. You know, there's not, right now, you know, it's just like owning any other piece of uh, property as far as how it is on our balance sheet. I don't have the same rules that, you know, MicroStrategies does, which is uh, taking the lowest price it's ever been and holding that as the price. So, um, you know, we don't have the same publicly required SEC requirements as far as how we report it. so we're reporting it a little bit differently It's just an asset on our balance sheet, and uh, currently, and whenever we take the price for whether we do it quarterly or whatever, that would be the current the current price, and uh, we'll either have a, a unrealized gain or loss based on on the current market yep. price. Um, but you know, we continue to buy, and we're looking to dollar cost average forever. Um, yep. I personally, have, you know, buy a few times a week, and and I recommend people think about doing that instead of just dumping it all in at once because dollar cost averaging tends to prove to be a safer way to, to play it. It also keeps, keeps, keeps constant buying pressure on, on the markets, which is always a good thing.
1: Right. Right. Um, I've, I'm one of my goals is to get more CFOs on the podcast as well, because I want, I, I, today was great about hearing everything you're saying. It sounds awesome. And I want to keep chunking down that path of mm-hmm. like, what's happening like at the software level and at the differences of the rules, how you just said between public companies have to mark it down, but um, private companies like don't have to all that's awesome because we're, this is the first time it's ever like we're doing it right now. You're doing it. You are doing it. And I think that's, uh, I want to end talking about high performers for one more second. And then I have our final wrap up question. We already have, we always ask, but yeah, I think like high performers, you, because you've already done this in lots of other places, you're like comfortable doing being the first one to do something. Or or actually how you even said you're the way that you said Tahinis gave you permission to do it, or mm-hmm. MicroStrategy gave you permission to do it. That's a very like that's a very like humble thing to say, but it's also a very just like knowledgeable thing to say. And what you're doing is you're giving your franchise owners permission to do it. Like you're you're purposefully saying, like, I'm going to sit through the meetings on this thing and we're going to have the conversations about how to do this, and then we're going to hand you this PDF packet with the links on like what to do. Like that's basically what you're doing. And that's like so, so important um, because we, yes, the future is uncertain, but like we have the ability to control, we can control. I just think that's just like a classic kind of high performer like thing. So um, <laughs> what, yeah, just what, any other comments about how, just entrepreneurs and high achievers can what can they do to to just not be the ostrich you've already said it a lot but i don't know just anything else to them about just not being the ostrich
0: well it's the you know so at Everbull and myself i have five we have five core values and these core values are very important and so defining those is the number one thing right understand what your north star is what your playbook is i don't have to the 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 struggle for business owners and entrepreneurs, truthfully, is the totality of the decisions and how many there are and the impacts and how they all interact. And you don't always realize what decision you're making today, what impact it will or won't have tomorrow. And it's not the big ones that kill you because those you usually see. The big icebergs are easily spottable and avoided. It's the small little ones that pepper you all day, all the time. Um, and so when you have your core values, hopefully you, you create them in a manner that is who you as a company and a culture are, and it allows you to tackle those and, and embrace the uncertainty of tomorrow with confidence and a clear and a clear set of directions. So for us, I'll just name them. You know, our first two are our, our two main rules that ever pull in all my companies, and it's make friends and have fun. And there's a lot there that I can unpack, and I won't. I won't uh, spend the next ten minutes going through all my little fun diatribe about them, but. Um, it's not as simple as they are on the surface because making friends and having fun does require you to be honest and treat people with respect and, and bring your A game and not ever leave, a spot, leave someone stranded, et cetera, et cetera. But uh, the next three are the ones that I think are better uh, suited for your question. Number three is the idea of Kaizen to get 1% better every day. And, and when you do that and you set micro goals on a daily basis that allows you to achieve 1% of growth, which is obtainable for everybody everywhere then you start to gain confidence you start to win stack and it becomes something you don't want to break and it's the problem of saying i want to go to the moon well that's great but at first work backwards now what kind of shoes do i wear when i start working on that spaceship and, and what kind of outfit do i need to wear and does it matter if what the room looks like and the atmospheric pressure and you have to start all the way down there so the idea of kaizen that one percent that high achievers i think do naturally uh, they're always looking to improve and they never just say hey i made it you know no, you didn't. If you made it, keep going because someone's mm-hmm. trying to get there and you need to keep moving forward. Um, and then the, the next one is be change ready. And that's really served us very well during the COVID crisis. But uh, the idea of not being a dinosaur, not not being so stuck in your ways that you won't change. And if you're a change ready organization, you, you look at technologies that pop up like Bitcoin um, or like other different things. And instead of saying, oh, I don't have time to learn this, I don't care, it's not my interest. No, it's as a company, I need to be change ready. I need to be ready to pivot any moment. You know, if I sell acai bowls and superfood bowls, but if tomorrow some crazy thing came out that said, all fruit uh, is no longer good for you and don't ever eat a piece of fruit again, it causes all these diseases, we would be selling something else. I'm not just gonna say, oh, sorry, shareholders, we're out of business. Like, I don't get that, that's not, a, that's not on the list. So as a company, whether you're an employee all the way down, never go to your boss with a problem, go to your boss with solutions. And the way you do that is you'd be change ready. You look at the problems that are coming, you, you evaluate the market always. You always have an ear open and an eye open for what's out there. And when you see something, you at least give it the attention it needs. And, and then if you decide not to change, great, but you're change ready. I can tell you, we knew about Bitcoin as a company and I wanted to do this six, seven months earlier than we did, but I didn't feel comfortable yet based on what I saw as a company. Uh, at a corporate level for us to implement it and do it systematically. I wanted to have mm-hmm. some conversations with smarter people and I wanted to to get a little deeper in, but at least we were change ready if we had to six months earlier. Um, mm-hmm. It took us still six months to pull the trigger. And then the last one is remarkability, that if you're gonna do something, be remarkable at it because um, you won't get anywhere being average. And so I think that if you attribute getting 1% better, uh, being change ready and remarkability together, I think once again, Bitcoin's gonna kind of hit all three of those standards because it kind of does it itself. It's consistently getting better. You see the developers working on it the the, mm-hmm. the, the, the layer two development on the Lightning Network and what that brought to, the, to Bitcoin as a whole um, mm-hmm. was, was amazing and it enabled a, a nation state like El Salvador to adopt mm-hmm. it and actually provide banking options for that huge population of unbanked and what that does for remittances and, and lowering the expenses for them as a, as a family and at the family level in his country that doesn't happen without without layer two. Yeah. So Bitcoin's yep. not just staying static, even though it, it the rules are written as far as the hard rules, the ability to improve inside of that is there. And it is it is change ready, right? It's changing with, with regulation and adoption in times. You know, there was an issue with global warming crisis and people saying it's such dirty energy. And now we have volcanoes that are powering Bitcoin. So so you know, it achieves that and it's remarkable. I mean, when you do the research, you put it through its own standard, it's like it is remarkable yeah. in how it might be simple in its core like if you think about it it's like oh Mm -hmm. we're not just going to print more willy-nilly like this is how much there will be and it's going to have every four years and this is the way we do it and this is the way it moves and this is the protocol and it's remarkable it was remarkably it was created remarkably well and so you know again although these are my core values I still want to put it through the same core values and it's doing them yeah I'd be concerned if it wasn't yeah I'd be less 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 optimistic yeah,
1: that's amazing, man. No, I love that. Um, all right. So the final question we try to ask every guest um, is what's a Bitcoin product or service that doesn't exist yet that you want and would use?
0: Ooh. Um, okay. What's a Bitcoin product or service that doesn't exist that I want or would use? I would say... Securities. I think that... that... The, the, the stock market, uh, essentially tokenizing. Uh, I, I always wondered this, actually, why you just no NFTs at all capable on the Bitcoin channel, why there can't be some version like a, uh, of an NFT product or service that can be utilized utilizing the Bitcoin as the underlying currency layer. Um, I'm not sure the answer, I'm not technical enough to answer. So maybe there's an easy answer, but that's one. And securities, I think that the stock market shouldn't be traded on paper anymore. It should immediately move over onto the crypto universe, if you mm-hmm. will, on a ledger mm-hmm. format that is tradable 24-7 all around the globe. And we get rid of the middlemen and women, whether or not that can be done on the Bitcoin network. Again, I'm going to leave that to the audience or someone to hopefully mm-hmm. answer for me, mm-hmm. but that would be it.
1: Love it, dude. No, I love it. Uh, yes. So uh, yeah, look up, look up liquid and look up RSK. So lightning, liquid, RSK, um, state chains, all multiple side chains of uh, Bitcoin. I think um, I agree with you on that answer. And that's, that's exciting. So um, Jeff. Like, uh, Tell us where they can find you and follow you and where they can find if there's an Everbowl by them.
0: Yes. So um, wherever you are in the country, we do have Everbowls popping up. Like I said, we're, we are coast to coast. So um, at Everbowl Craft Superfood on Instagram or at Everbowl on Twitter or go to everbowl.com. Um, I'm Jeff Fenster. I'm at Fenster Jeff on both. Uh, last name, first name. And you can always email me jeff at everbowl.com. If you're interested in uh, franchise, you can go to everbowl.com franchise. We're looking for more franchisees and some fun stuff, and you know, please reach out because I'm I'm a student, as I said, and I'm I'm constantly learning. So if something I
1: said stoked a thought and you want to share it, I would love to hear it. Love it, job. Hey, thanks so much, man. Thank you. Thank you. We'll talk to you more soon. Hey, all. This is Brian. You can reach me on Twitter at Brain Harrington. Shoot me a DM with any feedback from today's episode. This has been a Choice App production. Bitcoin is becoming centric to personal finance, and we want to help you learn how to better engage with Bitcoin financial services. None of this is financial advice, and is for education and entertainment only.